Well, good morning, church family. It's such a joy to see you in the house of the Lord today, and I just want to welcome you. I also want to welcome uh, our church family that's watching online. We got a lot of uh, people traveling, and we want you to know we love you. And we got a lot of new church family in Wilbarger County in the Vernon area. Would you put your hands together and join me in welcoming all of them? God bless y'all for being with us. Uh, we're glad that you're here as well. And uh, Pastor Mark's leading a team over in Vernon today. It's just an exciting thing what God is doing. And y'all are all a part of it. And I just want to welcome you. If you're a guest today, uh, let me welcome you especially and, and let you know we've got connection cards. And I'd be really thankful if you would just take a moment uh, to fill one of those out. And you can take it after service back to our information area. And the First Impressions team has a gift for you just to say thank you for being here. You can find that down either hallway back in our fellowship hall and also, you can use the connection cards to uh, submit prayer requests. Uh, we pray over these every day. And, and on Saturdays, uh, we have a, a prayer group that meets at 9 a.m. here at the church. And we pray over these together as well. So we want you to know your, your requests matter to us. And most importantly, they matter to the Lord. So even if you're not a guest, you can use it that way. And you can just put those prayer needs in the offering boxes on your way out. And uh, speaking of offering, we've got three ways that you can give here at Lakeview. You can give online at lakeviewpeople.com slash give. You can use the text to give number on the screen or on the website, or we also have offering envelopes located uh, in the seats nearby for your convenience. And I want to say thank you for being so uh, cheerful givers and so good to give. We had an amazing uh, event this past Friday night. There was over 150, I think there was around 140, 150 ladies gathered together. Heavy anointing and a lot of estrogen in the room. Hallelujah. That was our very first uh, Women's Life event. It was a roaring success. Hats off to Sarah and her team for organizing all that. A lot of work went into it. God bless y'all. And it was a life-changing time. And we were able to offer that free of charge. And that's because of your generosity that we're able to do things like that. Uh, I just I appreciate you being generous. But especially at this time of year, we try to kind of ramp up. Uh, being kind and being generous. I love uh, the holiday season. And I want to invite you to, to Christmas at Lakeview that's going to be happening very soon. We have uh, several special things. I won't overwhelm you and tell them all to you right now, but two that I want to highlight on Sunday, December the 11th. You may notice that I'm already wearing a Christmas sweater. Don't judge me, you Christians. It's time. Uh, and I just wore this as kind of a walking billboard that on Sunday, December 11th, it is our Christmas sweater Sunday, and we're going to be having a contest. We have a very scientific panel of judges that are going to choose the best overall, the funniest, and the most creative uh, sweaters, and uh, if you want to enter that, just wear your best or favorite or funniest sweater that day, and we'll be taking photos. We'll have a photo booth set up, and our top three winners, the ones that win each of those categories, will receive a $100 gift card, and also in your name, we're going to donate $500 to a local charity of your choosing. We're doing this here in Owl Park and in Vernon, so we're going to get to bless a lot of people. Again, it's because you're so good to give, and uh, we're excited about that. The very next Sunday, that's December the 18th, so the 11th is Christmas Sweater Sunday, the 18th is going to be our uh, Christmas variety show. It's a great opportunity to invite people. We're going to highlight some different ministries and do a, a little production for you. It's a little bit different Sunday, but don't worry. We're still going to be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ because what is Christmas without Christ? Come on, somebody. Uh, so I just want to invite you to all those and take a special opportunity uh, to invite uh, people to be with you as well. And uh, finally... I just want to tell you a little thing that, that happened to me before we get into this morning's message. The message series we're in is, is entitled uh, Life, Money, 
and hope. And this is supposed to be a season of hope, a season that brings hope to people. And I was wearing a Christmas sweater at the store the other day, and a lady kept staring at me. Like, looked really, really either confused or upset at me. And she said, it's not Christmas yet. Why are you wearing that? And in my flesh, I wanted to say, well, it's not the 1970s either. Why are you wearing that? But I didn't. I didn't say that. The Holy Spirit helped me, centered me. And I just explained, we just love this time of year because it is such a, a season of hope. I just, I like to get started on it as soon as possible because I love everything it represents because most, uh, more than anything else, it represents the love of God shown by his son, Jesus Christ, coming to this earth, being born uh, to live and eventually to give his life and then to raise from the dead for the hope of our salvation. So it's a season of hope, but I know that for a lot of people, it's also a heavy time. Because if we're being honest, sometimes at church we try to pretend like we're not going through things we're actually going through. And there's a lot of people that just the stress of comparison, it's like, ah, I want my kids to have all the things those kids have. Or I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to do for my family what I wish I could do. It becomes something it's not supposed to be. Or there's this sadness where you're like, you know what, even sitting around the Thanksgiving table, it makes you think of people you wish were still with us. They passed away and you miss them. Is, is that honest enough? For everybody, we, we, we all may know what that feels like. And so in this message today, we're going to talk about it simply titled The Way Out. Because you may find yourself, I know the pressure, you're like, I'm not supposed to be sad at Christmas time or mad at people. You're like, don't, don't act like that, it's Christmas. But you know, it's still life. And I want to share a message of hope that, that I, I'm hoping the, the Lord will do a better job than I can. The Holy Spirit will speak to your heart. That no matter what you're going through or have gone through, even if you've put yourself through it, there is hope through Jesus Christ. And so uh, to kick off part two of this message series for this one titled The Way Out, let's go to the book of Haggai, baby. Anybody get some blessings from Haggai? Nobody, that book gets no love. But I love every book of the Bible, and this one is so good here. This is kind of our theme verse in uh, chapter one, verses five through seven. It says, now this is what the Lord Almighty says Give careful thought. And I underlined that word thought in my Bible, and I want you to take special note of it because it will be repeated. This phrase will be repeated again shortly. Give careful thought to your ways. And it's telling us we need to fix the way we think. And here's why. Because you have planted much but harvested little. Some of you might relate to this. You're trying really hard, but you don't seem like you're getting the results that you want. Uh, you eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes. Come on, any husbands in here, your wife tells you they have nothing to wear when they got a whole lot of things to wear. <laughs> Just going to move on for your sake. Uh, you put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. And as we see things getting more and more expensive, it's getting harder and harder, it seems, to make ends meet. And we want to know that the Bible promises to help us make ends meet before we meet our ends. Come on, somebody. There's hope for our life, no matter what our life might be going through. But we have to learn to change the way we think. Billy Graham has a great quote. I want to share it with you. He said this. He said, if a person gets his attitude towards money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area of his life. That attitude, again, that's the way you think. It's not even talking about your actions yet. 
Because some of you know you can go through actions for a little while, but if you don't change your thought processes, you'll fall back in that same pattern, that same trap that the enemy set for you. So we need to change the way we think so we can really change the way that we live. And, and, and this is important because how we think about money is going to affect the way that we think about a lot of areas. When we were designing and studying for this series, you know, it's about money, but it really deals with a lot more than just money issues. It'll be a reflection of a lot of issues in your life. And so, uh, you know, if you look at just financial issues, they even filter into a lot of areas of life. 61%, they say, of divorces, people, uh, they part ways in marriage due to financial stress. Because you know when you're stressed out about money, it's hard to think straight. You don't treat people right because you got other things on your mind. And look, uh, a, a lot of that is because of the debt and this debt cycle that people find themselves in. And, and I, you know, whether you're in a debt cycle or a stress cycle or anxiety cycle, depression cycle, we want to know the way out. So let's first ask the question, how did we get there? And if you want to follow along here just a moment in your notes... We're going to talk in Scripture how we not only get there, but how to get out of there. But first, just think about how people approach. Let's just look at debt. Because not all debt is bad, but you can get yourself in trouble. And the Bible warns not to do it. But look at our nation. Currently, our government is 31, with a T, trillion dollars in debt. That equates to, that means our government owes about $250,000 per citizen of the United States. That's what the government has debt on our backs that they owe to somebody. And we pay in taxes. I know it may feel like we pay a lot of taxes. The average American only pays about $14,000 in taxes a year. Y'all, I'm no mathematician, but it's going to take us a long time to pay that back. And how have you know when you owe debt, you also have to pay interest. And it keeps compounding. That's how these cycles happen where we will feel trapped. And we've not had a good example set before us, uh, even in the government. And, and so people live the same way. The average U.S. citizen right now in 2022, on average, they have $72,000 in outstanding debt. That's just on average in the U.S. But church, I need to give you warning. There will come a day of reckoning. We can't just treat this like pretend money. You can't just keep printing money like it doesn't matter if it's not backed by anything. And at some point, we're going to have to pay for it. See, times have changed. Thought processes have changed. Uh, when I was younger, there was something that a lot of the young people in this room may never have heard of. Anybody remember the days of layaway? Yeah. And around Christmas time, we would do that. Here's the difference with layaway. Let me explain in case you've never heard of it. They would say, like, you wanted to buy a washer and dryer. You, you'd say, I'll put a, you know, an amount down. Like, I'll give you $100 now, and I'll pay a little on it every month. And once I get it paid off, I get to take home the washer and dryer. Now, that seems ridiculous to people these days. They're like, why would I wait for it? I'll just swipe my card or put it on debt, and I'll bring it home with me right now. I don't want to wait. We're not about delaying gratification. The difference with layaway is once you had that thing paid off, you had to wait and pay it off, but then you got to bring home a brand new item. With debt, you, you take it home with you. How many of you know you pay some stuff off and then you don't even know where that thing is anymore before you got it paid off? You done broke it or ate it or misplaced it, whatever. But you still owe on it. That's called consumer debt. And in our nation, we're strapped with it. We've already consumed the item in whatever form or fashion, but we still owe money on it. We're not even enjoying it anymore, but we're enduring the debt that we owe on it. So that's just some practical things financially, but I want you to see that this is about more than just money. 
But the Bible does talk a lot about money. In fact, the Bible talks about money five times more than it talks about prayer. The Bible talks about money more than it talks about heaven and hell combined. Because it's important and it will affect a lot of areas in our life. Half of Jesus' parables almost deal with money. And let's look at one of them together. It's a very powerful story, but there's a lot of practical stuff that can show us how we get into these traps and also how we can get out of them. Look with me at Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 16. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. And the first one says this, The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Basically what he's saying is, I can't wait for you to die. I want my inheritance right now. So it's kind of a cruel, rude thing that this younger son was saying. But the father obliged and says, so he divided his property between them. You may be kind of familiar, but let's look at what happens. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, all of his inheritance, and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth on wild living. So he already had done that, but look what happens next. After he squandered it all, he had spent everything. There was severe famine in that whole country and church i just want to warn you there's always going to be famine at some point in every in every life in every part of the world it just whether it's physical spiritual emotional whatever there's going to be difficult times in every life the bible says it rains on the just and the unjust so if we're already strapped remember he had already spent all he had before famine even hit it's going to compound it's going to complicate what's already going on in our lives when we hit these hard times so this is why this is important to recognize the problem and the progression before difficult times happen because they're just going to happen it just happens and it says then he began to be in need and in a desperate situation he tried a couple of things let's look at what he tried first so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country I commend him. I mean, he was trying to do something. And this is what a lot of us will do first. We'll try to figure it out on our own. Well, I got myself into this mess. I've got to get myself out. And while, I mean, there's some validity to that, God has a better way than us if we'll trust his ways. He tried to do it on his own, and he hired out to a citizen who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. And now he finds himself in where the enemy wants us to find ourselves. Look at this next part. It says that he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Such a sad situation, and we'll find ourselves in this sad situation if we're not careful. I want to show you the progression that happened. Just uh, a few quick things that really apply to money, your marriage, your relationships, uh, your future. What a, a lot of areas of life these apply to. They're just biblical spiritual truths. That if you don't recognize the enemy's traps, you'll keep falling into them. But if you can start to see his patterns, you don't have to keep repeating the same sin, the same mistakes. Here's, here's the first thing that I want to call out, and so you'll recognize it. The first step in this progression that leads to us to a bad place is, first of all, we believe something that's not true. We believe a lie. It all starts with that. And I need you to see this. It's not in your notes, but I hope you'll hear me, and I hope God will help you remember this. This is the number one. In fact, it's really the only weapon that the enemy really has. He's been using it since the very beginning. He lied to Adam and Eve. You will not surely die if you do this. 
That's what he does to us. Oh, it'll be okay if you take out all that debt. It'll be okay if you just do this when, when you've lied and told your wife you were going somewhere else. It'll be okay if you go to that website just a few times or you just go back to that bad habit just for a little while. Whatever lie he tries to tell us to make us slip back into something that's not good for us, this always starts the, the progression. And, and that lie that he throws at us doesn't always seem bad on the front end of it. In fact, he'll sometimes tell us something that really looks good to our flesh, really looks good to our desires. And I want to share with you something. It's kind of funny, but it's actually really sad. A survey was done of, of thousands of people. It's actually out of a book, a collection they did of surveys in the United States. And they asked this question, what are you willing to do for $10 million? And the idea of somebody giving you $10 million sounds like a great deal to me. But what are we willing to do with it is the trick there. That's what the enemy, he'll wave something in front of your face. Y'all, this is in the United States, the most prosperous nation in the world. You know, and it says, what are you willing to do for $10 million? 25% of people said that they were willing to abandon their entire family. Like, I'll just cut my family off completely. And that's sad right here around Thanksgiving. Now, after Thanksgiving, some of y'all may be like, oh, maybe for $20 million, no. But it's sad. this next one is crazy to me. 23% said they would become a prostitute for a week. And actually, the survey said for a week or more. I just didn't have the heart to type that on the screen. They would just, they would just give themselves over to that. And, and going on from there, 16% would give up their American citizenship. Which cracks me up that every election cycle, there's a bunch of celebrities that are like, if so-and-so gets elected, I'm leaving the country, and they still here. Because it ain't that bad, everybody. Anyway, or else there wouldn't be so many people trying to get here. Anyway, 10%, this is sad, y'all. 10% would withhold testimony, letting a murder. They would know that what they say could convict a murderer, but for $10 million, they would withhold testimony and let a murderer go free. This next one, they just get sadder and sadder. 7%, they would kill a stranger. At least they don't know them, I guess. I don't know. It's just horrible. And the last one, so sad, 3% would put their children up for adoption. Some of y'all are like, I'd do it for free. But y'all, I'll take those babies. Kids are precious. You should never say that to your kids. They're a gift from God. And it's sad, though, what we'll do for money. What's the root cause, though, that will make us believe a lie. Because I know while we may not have done anything like this, there may be things that we're like, you know what? I know I'm compromising things that I shouldn't compromise. I know I'm breaking God's law in areas, and I don't know why I keep doing it. So what's the root, root cause? Ultimately, we're self-absorbed. I own it. It's us. We want to do what we want to do more than we want to do what God wants us to do. That, that's the, so ultimately, it's really pride, and it talks about it in Proverbs sixteen eighteen. If you can see this, you'll be able to see the traps before they come. It says, pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. I put emphasis on the word before for a reason, because this is always what happens. We start saying, I know better than God. Oh, that's outdated. No, that doesn't apply to me. No, I've got a better way than what God's way is. And that will always, without fail, that's a lie from the enemy and it will lead to destruction. And a haughty spirit, a haughty spirit is like uh, the way we would express it. You believe, well, I, I need to do this because I deserve it. I, you know, I just need to blow off a little steam. That's why I'm doing this. 
You know, I have the right to. I've worked really hard. Whatever excuse, whatever lie we believe. And so, you know, some people, they, they get in horrible situations and, and, and they've done it on their own. I, I, I want to share with you something kind of personal. S- several people, even in the last few weeks, even this week, I actually had a gentleman pay me a, a compliment, but he, he doesn't know the whole story. He was like, you know, I just, he actually said, I'm jealous of you and your family. He said, I just, I see you and your wife together and you and your kids together. And I'm like, yeah, but you didn't see us on the car ride over here. You know what I'm saying? We just see the, the thing, little, little snapshots of it, little Instagram filtered stuff. Life without a filter is messy. And you know what? Our kids aren't perfect. Our marriage is not perfect. We have to work on it together. And, and we get through it together. Uh, but, but what he said was, was, was a compliment. He meant well. But y'all, if I could share anything with you, and this is not false humility or, or trying to seem super spiritual. It's just the truth. The better I do in life is when, how much I realize this ain't because of me anyway. Any good I'm doing is, is only because of God and because of his help. And, and you have to stay humble in that way, not prideful. And what I try to do is stay on my face before God. Because can I tell you, when you're on your face, you don't have very far to fall when you make mistakes, when you mess up. But if you get on your high horse, you're going to have a trip when you, when you fall. And so... Think of it that way when you're thinking about believing that lie. You know, it's, it's like, oh, the devil did this to me. No, you wanted to believe something. He told you something you wanted to hear. And even though it was against God's law, against God's word, it was something you wanted so badly, you were willing to reject the truth of the Lord, the truth of his word. And I don't tell you that with, with any meanness. I'm telling you, I've done it, and it didn't work out well. And I hope you can avoid those same pitfalls. Because what happens after we believe the lie, here's the next step in the progression, is we engage in self-destructive behavior. We start to act out what we believe. Um, we'll do things that harm ourselves, And you say to yourself these things. These aren't in your notes, but see if you relate to this, if you've ever done these. You just say, I can't help myself. That's why I do this. It's just the way I am. I've made that excuse. I believe that lie. Or again, we say, I deserve this. Like, I've earned this. I'm just going to blow off steam, whatever. Or this last one. This is something that, that I've been guilty of, and I want to say it so I can call it out for the lie that it is. What harm will it do? What harm will it do? Listen to what the word says in Proverbs 14, 12. It says, there is a way of life that looks harmless enough. People say this all the time. Why are Christians harping on that? Why do they care about what people are doing? Because we care about people. And we know if it goes against God's way, it's, it's going to lead to destruction. Because it says, it looks harmless enough, but look again, it leads straight to hell. And I'm not saying we've got to be jerks, but we need to, to preach Jesus to people and explain to them, this is just what the Bible says. It's not my opinion. It's just what the Bible says. It's what God's word says. Because I care about people's souls and if, if we don't start seeing this progression, not only will we believe a lie, not only will we start partaking in self-destructive behavior, we'll take the next step, which is we will isolate ourselves. And most specifically, we isolate ourselves from those who can help. The crazy thing is we'll get around people. Man, I see this so many times in marriages. A man that's cheating on his wife, he, he'll, he'll want to hang around with other guys. Who are doing the same thing. Because he feels, oh yeah, you know what I'm talking about, how difficult she is. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm going to blame it on somebody else, your own actions. We shouldn't do that. I've done it. I'm telling you, don't do that. It leads to destruction. And we'll isolate. We'll, we'll pull away from the very people who want 
to help us. And, and this is talked about in the Bible so many times. Proverbs 18.1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. It's actually selfish. Because you, you may think, well, I'm only hurting myself. No, but it's tearing up those people that love you. And it's hurting your future. It's hurting your ability to minister for the Lord too. So it's impacting more than you really understand. And it says he breaks out against all sound judgment. Again, it's our thinking. We're not thinking right. Our judgment is wrong. We're judging things incorrectly. And, and just as a pastor, let, let me say this to you as clearly but as honestly. Uh, anytime we speak against or preach against something that the Bible says is wrong, it's not because we want to hurt your feelings. We want to protect you from pain. And look, ultimately, we don't want anything from you. We, we want freedom for you. So anything you hear us teach or preach, it's, it's with that heart of like, look, please don't isolate. Please don't pull away. If you don't like it, how many of you know people you love are the ones that are willing to tell you the thing you may not like because they love you? And y'all, I'll say it, and I ain't going to go anywhere. We'll figure it out together. We'll point out the problem, and I need you to point out my problem, and we help one another. That's what we're supposed to do. Bear one another's burdens, the Bible says. Because if we don't, and I know a lot of us can relate to this. I sure can. Uh, we will find ourselves in a dark place. That's the final step in this progression. It's where the prodigal found himself in the pig pen. That's where the enemy wants you. In the slop. In the muck. Isolated from the ones you love. Embarrassed to go back because you think you burned them too bad. Or you messed it up too much. And now you're just in a dark place. A desperate place. A place of depression a place of constant worry or fear, of, of, of no self-esteem, of, of maybe even leading to the point of feeling like your life shouldn't continue because your life is so bad and so messed up. Psalm 88, uh, I think the psalmist puts it pretty, pretty well. He says, this is how he felt. You have made my friends to loathe me, and they have gone away. I am in a trap with no way out. And this is a lie, but I'm thankful he's so truthful. Because, y'all, this is how we feel sometimes. God, you've, you've done this to me. You've made my friends. Everybody's left me. And they've, they've you know, gone away, and, and I'm stuck in something that I can't get out of. But I want to share with you a message of hope and the way out of this. Because when you're in that pit that feels so far from God, when you've done your best to run from God and you think he's not going to want me back because I keep rejecting him and I won't listen and, I, and, I, and I, even when he tells me something, you're like that kid, you tell him not to do it and they look at you and do it anyway and you think God's got to be done with me because I've been so done with him and I've been wrong to everybody. The Bible says it's at that moment, it's in those moments when you feel farthest from God. Listen to what the Bible says in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to those who are discouraged. He saves those. He saves those who have lost all hope. And we are in a world where hope seems like it's a, a lost thing. Nobody can find it anymore. And I just want to declare Jesus is the hope of the world. And he's the only hope we got. But thank God that's all we need is Jesus but we got to quit thinking we can just, you know, do it on our own and with our own strength and our own abilities. And we got to quit believing that lie that God hates you. He's so disgusted by you. When you're your most discouraged, he's the closest he's ever been to you. And I can tell you this, as a father, I got four kids. I don't even know where half of them are half of the time. Any real parents in here? 
Y'all don't be calling CPS. I'm just kidding. That's what my wife is for. She knows where they are. But seriously, like there's a lot of times I don't know where they are, but I'll tell you who gets my attention. The moment I hear one of my babies cry out in pain or they're scared and they need their dad, you better believe I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run over some people to go find my child. Your heavenly father is even more so that way towards you. He says, get out of my way, devil. Get out of my way, whatever. I just want to help you. Don't isolate yourself from the very one who loves you. And sometimes he tries to show his love through his people. And so just remember this. People, they may let you down. Even Christians, we're we're not perfect. Don't think we ever will be. But listen to what the word says about our heavenly father. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says that, don't forget this. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. That's about halfway through this. All you need to remember is God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He will always be there to help you come through it. He's always there, even if we don't realize it, even if we may not recognize it. And I used to think there were things I'd done that disqualified me from God's love or his call or whatever. And I need you to to believe this. There is nothing that we can do damage or destroy that God cannot heal because even if you feel like that relationship is dead that calling is dead that future I killed it I ruined it you serve a God who can raise the dead and he can do all things and so we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength we shouldn't teach that verse to our kids if we're not going to believe it as adults I believe the word of God to be true amen and so looking back to the account, the, the, the parable that Jesus told in Luke 15, uh, he says that when he came to his senses, the, the, the prodigal came, finally snapped out of it and realized, what am I doing? Why am I just sitting here in the pig pen, in the muck? He started to realize reality. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. At some point, when we change our way of thinking, he's still in the situation, but he's thinking about it different. He realizes there's got to be something better than this. When he came to his senses, he realized, here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. So look, he's starting to put a plan in place. He's going to try. But then he goes on to say, I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. He has a plan, even if it wasn't the best plan, at least he's trying. He said, make me like one of your hired men, one of your hired servants. But then he took another step. This is what I want you to see. Not only the way into this pit, but the way out. Is he had a plan and then he acted on it. So he got up. Somebody in here, it's time to get up out of the mess and say, I'm tired of living this way. I'm tired of accepting that this, just because this is all the way it's always been does not mean it's the way it always has to be. And, and so it says that he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off. I'm sorry, this, uh, this is just a lot to, to think about. Because the moments where I felt really far from God. Picture this. Jesus, Jesus is telling us this parable to try to help us understand God's love. Because we don't understand it. We can't comprehend how great it is. While, while the, the one who messed up was still a long way off, his father saw him. That means he must have been watching and waiting for him. Just sitting on the porch thinking, maybe today's the day my boy comes back. 
And, and he's not sitting there like, when he gets back, I can't wait to give him a piece of my mind. I can't wait to tell him all the things he's done wrong. No, it says, when he saw him, he was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son. He didn't even wait for the boy to get all the way back. He said, I'm going to meet you where you're at. And God is saying that to somebody. I'll meet you where you're at. If you'll just get up and start trying, I can do the rest for you. He ran to him, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And, and then, I mean, it's, it's good. The, the son said to him this. He said, Father, I have sinned against heaven. He, he, he said what he practiced. I, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He, he was honest before him. But y'all, it, it's, it's such a beautiful story because the father wasn't having any of that. He said, no, my boy is back home. We're going to throw a party. Go get my robe. Go get my ring. I'm giving it all to you. And I'm so thankful for our heavenly father that views us this way. I don't, I don't want you to believe the lies of religion that have told you that God's looking at you, waiting for you to mess up so he can punish you. No, he's waiting for you to look up so he can help you. Out of any mess you've gotten in or even that you've got yourself in, that's a picture of our Heavenly Father, the way Jesus told it, not the way religion tries to retell it. So no matter what your problem is, if it's finances, if it's family, if it's whatever, there is a way out. And I want to show you how from this account in Scripture, God gives us, Jesus gave us clear steps. They're practical, but they're very powerful. And they're deeply spiritual. That if you will apply them to your life, it will change your life. Number one, the first thing you got to do is acknowledge the reality. It's a key word. We need to live in reality. And I know we try not to acknowledge it. That's why we numb our senses with other things because reality can be painful. But I'll tell you what, you've got to acknowledge the reality of where you are. Because you know what? If you don't acknowledge it, how can anybody know how to help you when they don't even know how you're really hurting? And we've done ourselves a disservice in the Christian community of pretending like we're okay when we're not. And I tell you, don't feel bad if, if, you've, if you've done that. There, there's hope for it. But church, we need to do better. And I'm proud of y'all because we're doing better. I know we're not perfect, but we're trying to be better because we've realized our mistakes. And we're at least trying to learn from them. We may still have to figure it out, but we're trying. Because here's the thing. We've got to quit crucifying people when they come forward with their hurts and their pain. We've got to quit being the Pharisees saying, oh, you were caught in adultery. We're going to stone you to death. Jesus said, let all of you without sin throw the first stone. That's talking to the church today. We don't need to be throwing stones. We need to be throwing life rafts. Saying, here, we're here to help you. God bless you. How brave are they? They finally open up. They finally spill their guts. Somebody get a mop to clean that mess up and clean them up and help them up. Come on, somebody. Let's be better than we've ever been. Because some of y'all, you know the pain. You know the embarrassment. So it's what made you isolate in the first place because you thought if I go there, they're going to eat me alive. And that's not how God is. So let's not let God's people behave that way. Let people be real. Psalm 51, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you might want to read it today. Uh, the psalmist David composed this after he had been caught in adultery and murder all in the same situation. If you know the account of Bathsheba, how he committed adultery with this woman, got her pregnant while he was the king, and then had her husband killed, basically, set up to be killed in battle so that he could try to hide the sin. He, he did all sorts of things. He didn't accept the reality and it kept getting worse and worse and worse. He composed these words when he finally got real before God. He said, I've been out of step with you for a long time. In fact, he admitted, in the wrong since before I was born. But look at this in, in verse 6. He says, what you're after is truth. What God wants is not perfection. He's already perfect for us. 
And guess what, sweetheart? He already knows you're not perfect. He never expected you to be. I don't even expect my kids to be perfect. Noah's in here, and he can, he can correct me if I'm, if I'm not telling the truth. I tell my kids all the time, if you'll tell me the truth, I can help you. But if you lie to me, I don't even really know what the situation is. I don't know how to help you. And they'll come to me sometimes and just, it's this look of what's that, what wrath am I going to incur for what I've done. And it blesses my soul when they'll be honest with me. You know, there might be a consequence, but it's not going to be that bad. And honestly, it's going to help us get back on the right track. And I'm like, look, I'm here to help you. Any, any correction is because I love you. God corrects those that he loves. And all he's after is not perfection. He just wants us to be real. He wants the truth. And it says, enter me then, conceive a new true life. God, I, I, I'm hiding nothing from you, is the way that's uh, expressing that to the Lord. This is not in your notes, but I wanted to share this. Because in Psalm 32, and you may not know this, but the Psalms are not necessarily uh, recorded chronologically. So Psalm 32, most Bible historians believe, was actually written after Psalm 51. So this is after, you know, David goes through this heartbreak and everything. And he's speaking after the fact of what happened. He's trying to say, look, learn from, from my tragedy. Learn from what I did wrong. And he says, when I kept it all inside, my bones turned to powder. My words became day-long groans. And see if you relate to this next part. Because he says, the pressure never let up. You know that feeling? Like the guilt is so heavy. The shame is so piercing. It's like you, you think about, you wonder, do they know? It never lets up. It even bothers your sleep. All the juices of my life dried up. I love this guy's honesty here. And finally he says, I'll come clean. Then I let it all out. I said, I'll come clean about my failures to God. And suddenly the pressure was gone. My guilt dissolved and my sin disappeared. And y'all, this is what I want for you is, is, is to know the freedom of, of just saying, God... I wasn't doing so good anyway. I don't know why I was trying to pretend like everything was good. You know, getting it off your chest can let you breathe again. Let you say, hey, I'm struggling, but, but at least somebody knows now. And, and this is such a powerful thing if you realize, once you acknowledge the reality, you can do this, the second step, which is to develop a plan of attack. And y'all... It's awesome to come to church and, or to be around believers and maybe pray with somebody or hear a song that inspires you and to feel so inspired. And you feel so like, you know, I can take on the world, but then the world is really happening and, and it's hard. And I need to just say this. Well, I value this time and I think it's very special and important that believers come together and worship together. Y'all, there's more to it than that. Monday's still a coming. And it's done are the days that we need to just have people down around the altar and then pat them on the back and say, good luck with life. And so we want to help you develop a plan of attack. This is really what our small group ministry, our life groups are all about, is you being around other people. Because it's an imperfect science. Because every person is different, every problem is different. But the solution, the Bible says, is for us to be around one another to bear one another's burdens, to confess our sins to one another and find healing. Scripture after scripture talks about this. So the enemy, that's why it feels so awkward. The enemy doesn't want you getting the help that you really could have. If you'll follow God's way, his way is better than yours. But in our pride, we'll say, I don't need all that. I hear people say all the time, I don't even need to go to church to have church. That doesn't even make sense, biblically or otherwise. No, look, you think we don't know churches aren't perfect? That's the beauty of it. We keep coming together anyway, even though we know stuff. Then you actually get to know about one another and know each other's struggles and troubles. Then you can actually start to make a plan. 
When things get real, you can get real help. And this plan of attack, the Bible talks about it in Proverbs 27, 12. It says that the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. So at some point, we need to get off the, the roller coaster. We need to get off the merry-go-round. Quit, quit repeating the same things, expecting a different result. And so I want to encourage you, just some practical things you could do real soon. Actually, in two weeks, or a little less than two weeks, we have our Freedom Conference. It's December 2nd and 3rd. Everybody's invited. It's completely free. And y'all, it, it, it in and of itself will not change your life, but it can be a life-changing moment for you. It deals with rejection. It deals with shame. It deals with abuse, neglect. Anything you may have gone through or put yourself through, it deals with it from a biblical and, and just spiritual perspective. And I invite you. I wish everybody would, would come out. It's a Friday night, and it's most of the day Saturday. It's an investment in your time. But man, can I tell you, those couple of hours, they'll be worth it. Even if you've been before, you know what? You need to brush your teeth more than once. And you need to come to church more than once, too. You need to be around the, the presence of God and, and other believers. And so I just want to invite you. You can register for free online at lakeviewpeople.com slash freedom. It's Friday night. Then Saturday, it's from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. We feed you. We feed you breakfast and lunch on Saturday. And uh, everybody's welcome to come to it. Spread the word about it. And it, maybe that can be just a, a life-changing time. And again, our small group season is kind of coming, our winter semester is coming to a close, but we'll launch new ones in the spring. Get involved in our life groups. Be around other people. If it's a freedom group or a, a, a stage of life where you're going through things similar to other people. But y'all, even not in our semesters, every Tuesday night at 6.30, there's a ministry called Celebrate Recovery that could save your life and change your life. And you could be used by God to help. There's something powerful. Being around other people, hearing all their stuff, and knowing they're just going to pray about me and not talk about me. Unjudge me. They'll just love me. It's something powerful. And I invite you. That's every Tuesday at 630. And, and there's so many things that, that we don't do that, that we have access to. Uh, let me show you something. This is a code I wish all of us would adopt. It's made popular by Dave Ramsey when it comes to money. But it applies to a lot of things. It says, debt is bad. Saving is good. Giving is fun. And stuff is meaningless. And a lot of times, we do this back, we think stuff is so, means so much that we get ourselves in debt, we, 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 we mess it all up. We think the stuff is most important when it's actually the least important thing. People are more important than any stuff. And so there are things that we need to be careful that we don't get out of balance, out of order in our life. We need a plan. Whether that's you know, financially, whether that's uh, spiritually, whether that's relationally. And I'm going to show you, when you get a plan in place, there's something, a promise of God that can happen when you start to do what God asks you to do, what he's commanded or challenged us to do. But here's the key that I want you to remember. Whatever God tells you to do, you need to do it now. What are we waiting for? Are you expecting things are going to get better sitting in the slop? At some point, you've got to get up. At some point, you've got to start taking the first step. Whatever the next right thing is, you've got to do it. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says it this way. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So what do we do? Let me give you the best starting point. It's the one that the prodigal lived out and that you can live out too. Anyone can do this and everyone should do this. It's the final thing I want you to write down. It's humbly ask your father for help. Doesn't always feel good admitting that we're struggling. 
but who cares what other people think? You know, there was a time my wife and I, uh, early in our marriage, we got ourselves in it. Just if, I can tell you this one because we've got worse ones that I wouldn't want to tell without her permission. But early in our marriage, uh, you know, I, d- I didn't make much money. I was on a youth pastor's salary. I was making tens of dollars, y'all, let me tell you. Uh, but we had bought our first house. She was still in school. We were trying to pay, uh, you know, for her schooling. And, and uh, we just had our first kid. All these things were hitting. And, you know, we were just figuring out life. And this salesman came by the house one day. He was a Kirby salesman. Kirby vacuums, y'all remember those? Those are still a thing. Y'all, I don't have no money in the bank, not really, but I had a new credit card that they had just given me a limit increase. Somebody needs to hear this. You need to know your limits. And don't let the creditors tell you what they are. So we see this. Y'all, it was like a rocket ship vacuum. You know, and I wanted that thing. It was over $1,000. That might as well have been a million dollars to me at that point in life. But my pride, I was going to get that vacuum. Because every wife, that's what they really want is a souped up vacuum. (laughs) It's stupid. The whole thing was stupid. But this guy, y'all, this guy that's in my living room, who I don't even remember his name. I don't even know who he was. He's just just some dude. I was embarrassed to admit I didn't really have the money to even think about that. And you know what? I let my pride talk my wife, who she's usually, she is, she's more cautious with money, and it's good. We balance one another. Because if it wasn't for her, we wouldn't have no money. And if it wasn't for me, we wouldn't have no fun. <laughs> Just kidding. But y'all know what I'm saying. You have that balance. We're there for one another. In that moment, I let a salesman pressure me. I'm a grown man. Letting a man come in my house and talk me into buying a thousand dollar. Y'all, our little house didn't have enough carpet for a vacuum. We had this little auric my mom had gave me, worked just fine. You did two swipes, that was the whole living room. You know, it was fine. What did I even, it was stupid. But I've got this credit card and I paid for it. And you know, I started to feel the pressure. Because I hadn't really paid for it. And now I was paying for it. And I was like, I don't know how we're going to pay this off. This is stupid. And now I've got to pay interest. And she said, you know, your wife will sometimes say things and she's right, but you're not trying to hear it. She said, just call him back and tell him we, we can't, can't afford it. We don't want it. I can't call him back. It seemed like the most embarrassing thing to me. This man don't even know me, don't have any bearing on my life. What did I care what he thought? Some of y'all, you're holding yourself back from what God wants for you because you're so concerned about what people will think. It didn't matter nothing. I was letting that man... Have, have control. And he didn't mean anything by it. He's just trying to earn a buck. I'm not, I'm not faulting him. I should have been a man and been honest with him. Just been like, man, we're, that's not in our budget at all. That's not in, you know, our budget until I'm like an astrophysicist or whatever. I don't know. But finally, I got up the courage. In less than 24 hours, thankfully, I didn't wait. Y'all, I didn't sleep that night very well. I was sick at my stomach. Something stupid I'd done. And it was hurting me and Victoria. We were, we were fighting, bickering over little things. It was stupid. And I'd let it in my life. But all I had to do was come clean. Say, hey, I can't handle that. I can't handle paying for that. And you know what? They brought us our old orc back. They broke the handle. Victoria duct taped that bad boy and it lasted years. Whoop, whoop. Look at that. That's all it takes. Did just as good as that Kirby would. But I had to humble myself. Here's what happens. Humility puts you in the position to receive the favor of God. And I want to show you that scripturally. Some of y'all know about the favor of God. You get stuff. It's like God had to have done this. I didn't do this. 
And I tell you, if you're not humble, if you're prideful, the Bible says this. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 5. In verses 5 through 7, it says, God opposes the proud. And that word opposition, it says, it's because he's trying to push you in another direction. Because he knows the way you're headed is self-destructive. He opposes the proud. He's trying to protect you from yourself, but he shows favor to the humble. And I've seen people, man, they get a plan. They just start stepping in faith one step at a time. They don't have it all figured out, but they know this is the next right thing I can do. And every time, man, God runs to them. He meets them more than halfway. And I see people, they're like, man, God's given me a plan to get out of debt. Never once have I seen them make it all the way to their expected date of getting out of debt. God blesses them miraculously before then. Every time, I can testify, but every time when they stay committed to to God's plan and His way, He just has a miraculous way. Because it says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. And then it says, cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. That's the kicker. He cares for you. That's why He wants you to trust Him. He's got nothing to prove. He's God. He just loves us. I don't know why. He just does. And I'm so thankful for it. And I'll take all that he's got. The Bible says we are co-heirs with Christ. So we can receive from him by faith all that he has for us. And look, I just want to encourage you in something. We're about to baptize a couple of people going public with their faith. They're proud of who God is in their life. They're proud of who Jesus is. And what a beautiful picture of it. It's really humbling to be baptized. You know, it's kind of strange getting in front of a bunch of people and getting dunked underwater. But God said to do it. Jesus did it. If we want to be like Jesus, we need to be willing to do the things God asks us to do, even if they seem strange to us. Even if we don't know why it's so beneficial, we just trust God by faith. So I want to ask you, before we have this baptism uh, time together, would you stand, and I've asked the worship team to lead us in a song you probably know that talks about running to the Father. And then we're going to pray together before we leave. But please hang around for this baptism time because I love celebrating with these people. But for just a moment, would you sing out to the Lord and would you just think about that picture of the prodigal's dad running to him and that's your heavenly father's love for you. Can we worship the Lord together?